This is The Guardian. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, coming to you from Gadigal land, and this is the full story. So there it is. The Indigenous Voice referendum has been defeated. Australia has voted no to enshrining an Indigenous voice to Parliament in the Constitution. When you do the hard things, when you aim high, sometimes you fall short. In Canberra, the Prime Minister marked this moment as a loss. And tonight, we acknowledge, understand and respect that we have. As Prime Minister, I will always accept responsibility for the decisions I've taken, and I do so tonight. But in Queensland, opposition leader Peter Dutton did not. What we've seen tonight is Australians literally in their millions reject the Prime Minister's divisive referendum. The Prime Minister clearly was not across the detail and he refused to explain or answer reasonable questions from Australians. In a crowd of hundreds at a Yes event in the inner west of Sydney, this result was met with tears. I'm feeling really sad that Australians have said no, really, because it was a very um, small thing to do. So why did Australia vote no? And how do we move forward from here? Today, what a no vote means for Australia. It's Sunday, the 15th of October. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. So I'm joined by editor of Guardian Australia, Lenore Taylor. Welcome, Lenore. Hey there. Guardian Australia's political editor, Catherine Murphy. Welcome, Murph. Hello. And Indigenous Affairs editor, Lorena Allen. Welcome, Lorena. Thanks. So Australia has voted no. We knew this might happen. Lenore, what's what's front of mind for you? Well, uh, obviously we editorialised for a yes vote. Uh, We said that we thought that it was an important thing to recognise and listen to Indigenous Australians And we said we thought a no vote would be a retrograde step, which would basically endorse the status quo. But the Australian people have seen it differently. So obviously we have to recognise and respect that decision of the Australian people. Front of my mind now is, for us in particular, as a a news organisation, how we act in a way that might make things better rather than worse. So... There are still truths that have to be heard, 
the underlying facts haven't changed because Australians haven't taken the decision that we thought would be good for the country. And we have to think about how we tell those truths, the truths about Indigenous history, the truths about what is behind the disadvantage that we see. We need to really pick up those pieces and think what we can do. Um, And the other thing that is at the forefront of my mind is what this means or what it might mean for politics going forward, because a campaign that really was pretty rife with misinformation has prevailed. And I suppose that will encourage politicians to go down that path again. I don't know that that's going to advantage the coalition in a general election in a country with compulsory preferential voting, but for the political system, for the political debate, I think that could be um, a, a very damaging precedent that's been set here tonight. So I guess they're the two things at the front of my mind. Mm. I want to put this in context in terms of, I suppose, an enormous moment in Australia's history. Within my own lifetime, I've seen so many moments where Australians have come together. You know, I was a child on the bridge in Sydney Harbour for the Walk for Reconciliation in 2000. We've seen, you know, the apology, many other moments around deaths in custody since then. What does this moment mean for that national narrative, Murph? Well, it's not a great moment for that national narrative, is it? We all need to accept the result of the referendum and the verdict of the Australian people. But, you know, a majority of Australians failed an empathy test tonight and failed a grace test tonight. You know, I think the result would be easier to accept if we'd had more of a sense, I suppose, that the referendum was a fair fight. Uh, It didn't feel a fair fight from where I sat. Mm. And so I think uh, there'll be a number of people uh, very shattered tonight, Mm. Uh, not just Indigenous Australians but many other Australians who uh, would have wanted this to be a moment of unity and a moment in which the reconciliation agenda was advanced. Another very heartfelt response was from the Minister for Indigenous Australians, Linda Burney. We saw her speak nearly through tears. I know the last few months have been tough, but be proud of who you are. Be proud of your identity. Be proud of the 65,000 years of history and culture that you are part of and your rightful place in this country. Lorena, what kind of responses are you expecting to hear from MOB? How is this going to sit with many Indigenous people? Well, we're already hearing them. Um, People are devastated. People are angry. Uh, I won't swear, but there's been plenty of um, outbursts of emotion. I mean, for most First Nations people, this entire campaign has been extremely bruising. We've been the subject of conversations. I mean, we've been the subject of conversations forever, but this is a very intense spotlight that they've shone on on us. And as Merv said, it wasn't a fair fight. We weren't properly portrayed and respectfully portrayed in that debate. All sorts of horrible uh, things were impugned on us as a group of people. Um, 
that we had no, ironically, were powerless <laughs> to repudiate. So I think it's there's a lot of heartbroken people out there, even people who didn't want the voice, even people who voted no mm. have found this campaign challenging. People already feel like we are a punching bag for all sorts of grievances in the colony, and that's what they call Australia. So, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of conversations that will have to be had, a lot of um, healing to be done. Mm. I suppose a sentiment that I've heard a lot is that this campaign has felt like it's not a vote on a voice but a vote on whether you support Indigenous people. Mm. And now Australia has said no. Does mm. that underline those feelings in the community? Uh, Nova Paris was on NITV's The Point this evening and she was choking back tears and she said, this is gut-wrenching, I feel sick. Um, Australia has pulled the shutters down and said we chose not to see you. That's a feeling that lots of Aboriginal people share, that that while the question might have been about whether or not you support an enshrined voice to parliament in the constitution, the debate wasn't ever about the constitution. It became a proxy vote on our right to be here. And certainly that whether that's true or not, that's how Indigenous people have felt going through this this referendum campaign. In his speech tonight, Anthony Albanese accepted responsibility for the result and he said the referendum was the right thing to do, though. He was optimistic that Australia could come together after this. Because this moment of disagreement does not define us and it will not divide us. We are not yes voters or no voters. We are all Australians. Murph and Lorena, you've been spending some time with Anthony Albanese in the final weeks of the campaign. What did you learn about Anthony Albanese's convictions and feelings about this referendum? I think this is a really hard loss for the Prime Minister. Uh, I think he uh, did a, a good job, job tonight about being gracious and projecting, you know, a sense of unity and a sense of purpose sort of looking forward. Uh, the voice for him, I think, was an expression of progressive Anthony Albanese, you know, the guy that, you know, was sort of more prominent, I guess, uh, you know, 20 years ago. And he was invested in it. He was very invested in it. A hundred percent, yeah. I don't think there's, uh, and and he always knew that there was a possibility that, that he could uh, run this gauntlet and lose. How does this moment reflect on our Prime Minister, Lorena? Uh, this last week has been... I think particularly gruelling is like another election campaign that he's running. He's been everywhere. I was with the press pack when he sat down in the red dirt at Uluru with those beautiful ladies who I'd spent several hours with before that. And they were all in on the vote and they wanted this yes vote. They said, we want to leave something for our children. We're old people now. We're old ladies now. Remember when you vote, they said to me, "When remember when you vote, that we are here in the centre of Australia and our voices aren't very loud, but we want to be heard. It's time for us to be heard. And he sat down with those ladies and they sang a song just for him and he cried. In retrospect, I'm thinking that he's crying. He might have cried because he knew that this was not going to get up mm-hmm. and that their hopes might have been misplaced. When he was in Adelaide this week, he cried again almost. He said, you know, for goodness sake, kindness costs nothing. He was almost pleading at that point. I think what he has learned, I'm just, you know, guessing here, but I think he's learned that, you know, the Australian people are hard when it comes to Indigenous affairs. They are really hard. And he, he genuinely thought this was going to be easier than it turned out to be. Mm. Yeah, and I, I think one of the 
I don't know, most galling, most um, upsetting things about the campaign was the fact that the biggest cut through line from the no camp was that somehow recognising Indigenous Australians and listening to them was a divisive idea, a divisive concept, when in fact, at least from my point of view, that division was caused by the no campaign. The concept itself was not divisive at all. And I think, I don't know, but I imagine if I was standing in the Prime Minister's shoes for an idea as fundamentally flawed as that, to have really taken root in Australia and for Indigenous Australians to have been put through what they've been put through for an outcome where it it doesn't get up in any state and is so fundamentally rejected, you'd bear the weight of responsibility for that. You really, really would. Mm. There's going to be a lot of time to break down the results and why this has happened, but I think there's a few key points that we can touch on tonight. Many have critiqued the No campaign for spreading disinformation for the way that they've conducted themselves, but others have said that the Yes campaign just didn't cut through. They didn't have a clear message and it didn't reach people. How much of the result is down to the decisions made by these campaigns? I think it's genuinely multifactorial. I think the no camp was basically uh, very effective at setting the message frame very early in the piece. What would this referendum be about? It would be about division. It would be about dividing Australians. It would be about conflict. And, and you know, Lenora's alluded to this. It's sort of, you know, conflict was the core of the strategy. and Creating conflict. Yes, creating conflict mm. for, its, for both means and ends. Mm. Uh, and I think they seized that sort of idea, planted that idea very effectively early. And then from that point onwards, it was difficult for Yes to respond because, look, in a normal election campaign, <laughs> if we'd sort of got to the point where we were two weeks ago in the referendum campaign where it was pretty obvious things were going south, you would go negative. You would you would basically turn an attack on the no case. Mm. Yes, wanted to run a positive message, wanted to run an inclusive message, and there was no capacity to sort of pivot or move quickly. So there will be a lot of criticism, I think, about the Yes campaign, slow to start, uh, not an effective structure, messages not clear, didn't pivot quickly enough. Like all of these things are true. But I do think part of the picture here is we can sort of get bogged down in these sort of analyses and we can kind of miss the bigger picture. I think the principal problem with the referendum conversation is that the majority of the Australian people are in another headspace at the moment. It's There's a lot of anxiety, there's geopolitical instability, there's economic uncertainty, there is people are under very, very acute material pressure in their lives. And um, that was the greatest, if you looked at where the no vote was strongest or the yes vote was strongest, income seemed to be one of the most decisive factors. Yeah, exactly. So people who are most pressed income-wise were more likely to vote no. Exactly. I think there's another sort of big, big picture thing as well, though, which is the Yes campaign didn't really go deep into why we need to recognise Indigenous Australians, what the shadow of our history was that we had to kind of get over, make up for, reconcile. Didn't really talk about that all that much. 
And the no campaign was basically saying, it's all good. There's no problem. There's no shadow. It's just about the disadvantage on the ground now, Indigenous or non-Indigenous, wipe, basically sort of wiped away the history of colonisation, intergenerational trauma. Now, if you're that person, you head down in life, that's an, that's an easier message to follow. That's an easier thing to believe. It's much easier to believe that than to actually think that maybe there is a historical wrong that needs to be righted. Yeah, and and in terms of the empathy thing that I, I think I said towards the top, trust me, I'm I am a I'm a 53 year old woman. The history of Australia when I was a kid in school was not the history of Australia that kids are being taught now. People don't understand the history. They don't, you know, they don't have that tangible connection. And and I think that's really profoundly obvious in this result in a number of ways. And looking forward, we have to think about that at a foundational level. We really have to think about that. I mean, it's that element of truth, right? Mm-hmm. Voice treaty truth. But yep. without truth and an understanding of that, this referendum has failed, essentially. There are a few other things I'd like to add there. Um the Yes Camp had to explain the Constitution, a change to the Constitution, what that change would do, what a referendum is. I mean, there, there was so much groundwork that they needed to do to get the average Aussie to the point where they could understand even what this voice was. And that work could have succeeded if there were bipartisan support for this and there was an all-out frontal assault on educating the Australian people. Mm. That didn't happen. And, in fact, the the opposition relied on all those stereotypes and the tropes that even new migrants to Australia somehow by osmosis pick up about us. It's astonishing to me how quickly people learn to hate blackfellas when they come to this country. Um, and that was borne out tonight. We can't hide from that. There is a racism problem in this country There's a whole lot of Australians who don't give a stuff about Aboriginal people and resented having to vote about us at all. So we can't hide from that. The racism in this campaign has been particularly toxic. It's not a surprise to any of us, really. It's been ramped up a couple of notches, but it's there all the time. And so one of the things Australia has to deal with out of the back of this is to confront that and deal with it. I think the outgoing race commissioner, Chin Tan said he thinks Australia needs a national anti-racism strategy and that is something that this government could take a good look at. Mm. That's that's dealing with the now but dealing with the past is also fundamental and that's where truth-telling comes in. Which is a way forward, right? I, I mean, think voice so. treaty truth, we could just go back to the truth, to the Makarata Commission, to, uh, to truth-telling, to sort of fill in those gaps. Now that this aspect of the Uluru Statement has been very resoundingly hosed Mm. out by the Australian people. That doesn't mean we should abandon the other two elements of the statement, in my opinion, and and it makes those two elements even more important. Truth-telling is the way that we heal. Telling the truth about our history and coming to terms with the history is the responsibility of all of us, and until we do it, any number of referendums about Indigenous people will fail. Just on that point, the kind of practical next steps for the government who has committed to the Uluru Statement from the Heart for Voice Treaty Truth, Albanese has ruled out legislating a voice. What can we expect from the Albanese government going forward? 
I think the government's in a difficult position, obviously, because, you know, the Australian people have repudiated uh, the voice and uh, people very concerned about cost of living and other and other things at this point. Uh, I think the Prime Minister will feel as though he's blown some capital for these issues, political capital in this process. Well, he kind of has. Well, he has. Yeah, he has. Uh, so then it's sort of a matter of how do you continue to progress the agenda because, you know, what I was trying to say about Albanese is that these issues actually matter to him. They actually do matter to him. So he'll be thinking about how he can double back and try and push this agenda forward. But I think they probably will see a bit of a hiatus, I would think, mm. <laughs> before mm. before they come back. Mm. I'd like to think, given the prominence of the Labor Indigenous Caucus, I think there's a plan B. I'm dying to know what it is because <laughs> I think we need some leadership and some answers and something something to hope for. I mean, uh, Aunty Jill Gallagher said this evening that um, hope is medicine and it is up to the Prime Minister to offer some hope to Indigenous people now because people are going to be feeling very hopeless. Yeah. He said tonight, he said that we need to find a new way forward. I'd like to think that they have spent a lot of time contemplating what that new way might be. It's been obvious for some time that this referendum was going down. So I'm only guessing, but I'm assuming and hoping <laughs> that they've put some thought into this and, that, and there will be some kind of work being done on a Makarata Commission, a truth, a truth and Reconciliation Commission of some kind in the future. Mm. I want to go back to some points we were discussing earlier about, I suppose, the toxicity of some of this campaign. And Murph, you've spoken a bit about Peter Dutton's role in that, about him as a figurehead of fear and fake news. Were you surprised at his conduct throughout this referendum? No, it was sort of an interesting trajectory. Peter Dutton sort of hovered for several months trying to work out whether he would be yes or no, and if it was to be no, whether he would be soft no or hard no in terms of how he would conduct himself. I think once he determined that it would be no and hard no, he went for it in true Peter Dutton fashion. I well, think he sort of pushed into it well, by the nationals and no, just into well, pride no, too. Well, yeah. well, exactly, exactly. And that was, you know, that sort of that period in history is actually probably is more interesting, I think, than people realise. But it's sort of... Having resolved to be no, it was full no, I think as he's gone on, he has sort of found his own mojo and he's become more confident. So we've seen these sort of escalations basically in negativity and, you know, that that framing basically that Lenore was alluding to earlier. I mean, it's sort of you know, it's one way to win. It's one way to win a political contest. And I think Peter Dutton's objective at this point in time is to push Labor into minority government after the next election and then proceed to go full Tony Abbott on them in the next term. So I think he doesn't mind accumulating, uh, you know, that, that sort of sense of being a negative player. But at the same time, just quickly, I do think it is tricky for him, though, because I was talking to uh, some Liberals through the week and one, someone who lines up on the Conservative sort of side said, I think it is possible that some of our people 
will hold this against us forever. Mm. That some people who would vote Liberal uh, will know exactly what we have done in this campaign and they will never forgive us for it. I mean, I think there's another risk though as well, which is that these tactics have been both informed by and have really emboldened the most right-wing elements of the Liberal Party and particularly the socially conservative right-wing elements of the Liberal Party. And I know people in that group want to move directly on to the next, you know, anti-woke, socially conservative campaign. These sorts of campaigning styles might be successful, have been successful in the binary choice of a referendum campaign, but I'm not sure that they will be nearly as successful in a general election in a compulsory preferential voting system. I think I don't know that the success that the Liberals have had, that the Coalition has had in this campaign tells us all that much about the next general election because I feel like the tactics might actually even backfire a little bit. Mm, Yeah, I think that's right and certainly the view of Julian Laser and Mm. others. We saw tonight Senator Jacinta Price stand side by side with Peter Dutton. She's one of many faces that we've all become much more familiar with throughout this campaign. At the end of it, who will we most remember? Who's kind of made a name for themselves, good or bad, throughout this campaign? Pat Farmer running to the rock, 14,000 kilometres he ran from, well, he didn't run from Hobart, obviously. There was a bit of, you know, the matter of the Bass Strait. But he ran around Australia and arrived at Uluru and cried when he saw that beautiful rock. Mm. I think we should also mention the Liberals for, yes, mm. people like Julian Lisa mm. and Andrew Bragg and all of the Liberals who really took a stand against their own party and kept it up n- knowing that, that their stand wasn't going to succeed, you know, Julian Lisa losing his front bench or standing aside from his front bench position because of it. I mean, that's that's courageous. Mm. Yeah. Pat Dodson recovering from cancer treatment at the National Press Club, sick as he was, still sat there and gave us everything. And I said this to my, my adult kids after they voted today and felt quite downcast. Look to the helpers, look to the positive people um, and... Seek solace there. Next, is this the end of reconciliation? Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. 
I want to come back to this question of the future. Where to now? We've heard from constitutional law expert Anne Toomey that this could be the last referendum in Australia, that politicians in the future might think better of trying this process at all. Do we think that's true? I reckon it could be. I think it could be because in a, well, the 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 accepted wisdom was always you needed bipartisanship. Well, yeah, you sure do. Mm. Um, but also now if you look at it, even with bipartisanship, even if you'd had bipartisanship, if you had another player, a significant player with some funding doing the misinformation and the sort of social media campaign that the no campaign did, it's still really effective. So, you know, when you think about all the people who are lined up for the yes vote here, and they were defeated effectively by a really smart social media campaign that probably didn't even cost very much. If that campaign had still been happening and Peter Dutton was like a maybe a soft no or something, would it, it probably would have still succeeded. I, I do question whether in an age where social media is so accessible, where it can bypass civic conversation and just sort of get to people through their devices, I don't know that a binary question is going to succeed if it's opposed by someone, even if it did have bipartisanship. So I'm, I think she might be right. Mm. The the danger in these sort of uh, conversations and contests is that the the licensing of polarisation that occurs, mm. uh, which is much easier when it's a binary. Exactly, and it's sort of I think that's quite a difficult gauntlet to run at this point, given the state of democracy, what's occurred in the UK, given what's occurring in the United States, the idea of kind of licensing polarisation in your own polity, I think that's quite a difficult gauntlet to run at this point. So, look, I don't know if we've seen the last referendum, who knows, but I think certainly... This, You'd have forced for thought well, after, I just after think, this one. Exactly. I think people will think think harder about what what is being unleashed. Mm. Yeah. So Marsha Langton and Noel Pearson have said that a no vote spells the end of reconciliation, that this middle path approach of appealing to the better side of white Australia, that's done. The government disagrees. They said so tonight. It's on life support, Laura, that's for bloody sure. I mean, I don't know how we can still talk about reaching out across the divide and reconciling. I mean, what's left of it now? This is a very resounding no vote to a very simple proposition. Um, So there will have to be some serious questions asked about whether that process is still viable. I mean, the hand keeps being outstretched. And even tonight, even after the no vote, we had people like Steve Gordon saying we can, we won't give up on reconciliation. There's an extraordinary generosity in that. Um, but there's also a younger generation of Indigenous people who are now thinking, well, why would we bother? We got an answer to a question we didn't want to ask. And now we feel very unloved and unwelcome in our own country. What alternatives are there for us? Um, and so when Lydia thought was talking tonight on the ABC about treaty making. She's making a lot of sense to those young people because she's saying that treaty making will allow them 
to have much more substantial influence. You know, she's talking about Senate seats and separate, um, um, Michael Mansell's talking about a separate nation state, much the same way that the Inuit people in northern Canada and the Arctic Circle have. So in the coming days, there'll be lots of new ideas pushed forward, some that people have been flogging for a long time. I think you know, there's there's some there's hurt and anger, particularly among young people, um, who now think, "What have we got? What what's the point of me making a contribution to this society? This society does not want me." Those feelings might abate over time, but that's it. That's how it is now. It's a very raw emotion. I think that sentiment is very very understandable. I hope, and you know, the years that I've been looking at these issues gives me some hope that for every two steps back, you can take three steps forward. And I hope that over time, that's what Australia will be able to do. And I'd just say on uh, the point about young people, uh, I think you're right. I think there will be generational change in terms of the leadership of, uh, you know, Indigenous leadership in this country. And one of the kind of heartbreaking things about tonight is that once again it will fall to a new generation of people to continue the fight when we we should be the ones to lead that reconciliation and that, that atonement and that uh, connection moving forward. So I'm, I'm so desperately sorry that's the case, but I think... It will promote generational change. Data around social cohesion also tells us that it's not just Indigenous young people who feel alienated in their country. Social cohesion data tells us that young Australians across the board, in fact, are not buying into the national project. So maybe that's a hopeful note for us to end on, that there might be some sort of commonality of interests between younger Australians, both black and white, for building a new sense of social and national identity in this country because I think that's so profound and important. So young folks, and I know lots of you listen, (laughs) buck up. Gen Z will save us all. (laughs) Well, I, I just genuinely believe that. And that's been borne out in the vote tonight as well. I mean, that's big numbers of yes uh, votes among those aged 20 to 34 in the capital cities. Uh, so, you know, that does give us some hope. You can't give up hope. Hope is, like as Diane Jill said, hope is a powerful medicine. So, you know, we need to keep hoping. Lorena, Lenore, Murph, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. That was Guardian Australia's Editor-in-Chief Lenore Taylor, Indigenous Affairs Editor Lorena Allam and Political Editor Catherine Murphy. Both Lorena and Murph have written analysis on what this result means. You can read those pieces and a detailed breakdown of the referendum results at theguardian.com. We've also linked to that on the Full Story page. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Phoebe McElraith, Karishma Luthria and Camilla Hannan, who also did the sound design and mixing. Recording from the Yes campaign event was by Chief Political Reporter Paul Karp. The executive producer of this episode was Molly Glassy. If you liked this episode, don't forget to subscribe or follow Full Story if you haven't already. You can also leave a review. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates. Thanks for listening. 
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.